Hey guys, we had some technical issues on this conversation, so be patient with me, but it's going to cut to us right into the beginning of Ashley sharing her story. You're going to love this girl. She is a TikTok sensation from prostitute to pastor. She is going to cut right into sharing her story. So buckle up. Here we go. This is a good one. I was a church kid, grew up in church my whole life. And through just a series of, of different traumas, essentially kind of leaned into this ideology that sex really was the way for me to first and foremost get love, but then not only get love, but manipulate men in a way way that they were behaving the way that I wanted them to. And I ended up long, long story short, I ended up being a high-end escort for five years. Um, And just for a little bit of sake of clarification, whenever you're talking about prostitution, first off, I do not want to glorify high-end versus low-end. You're selling your body for money, so it's prostitution regardless. Um, But what I explain to Katie and what I explain to people all the time is depending on what area of prostitution you're working in, you kind of are dealing with different types of people and different types of brokenness. And that very much shapes your experience. So one is not better or worse. You just have a different set of circumstances that you're operating in on a day-to-day basis. And so I was a high-end escort, which means that my clientele base were very, very affluent, very successful, um, very powerful men. And with that, you see the back end of a lifestyle that a lot of people genuinely think they want to attain to, but don't really understand how much it costs to get to that. And so what I would see over and over and over, and as I talk to these men, is often one of the greatest expenses for them was their marriage, because they would marry women when they were young that they genuinely loved, that they genuinely had connection with. And then their career became such a huge part of what they felt they had to offer to their relationship that then if anything went wrong, they were almost afraid to communicate with their wife about the hardship that they were facing, the stress level they were facing. And what I heard over and over from these men was, I really want to talk to my wife about that, but I feel like she is more concerned with the lifestyle that I am providing for her than the cost that it's having on me as a man. And so what would happen then is you would have men who were starting to isolate from their wives, but men and women are designed to work together. Women are designed to be able to support and emotionally sustain men. That's one of our roles as women um, from a, a biblical godly perspective. And so whenever that piece was missing, they still wanted that piece. And so what would often happen is the relationships that, that they would pay me to have with them would start out completely non-sexual. In fact, 80% of the time, I would see a man two, three, four times before anything sexual ever happened. I was like a very expensive therapist for lack of a better word, because we would sit there and have these deep conversations about business deals that were failing or stress that they felt from um, running companies or how do I navigate these interpersonal relationships with my employees or how do I navigate these interpersonal relationships with my wife? I mean, and so over time, I just started realizing so many things the church doesn't like to talk about whenever it comes to marriage, 
um, for gender roles in general, we don't like to talk about that, especially modern day women. I think, you know, we want to be educated and empowered and, and that's all, I mean, I run a business, so I'm, I'm all about that. Um, but also as women, how do we protect our marriages with the knowledge that I have because of that time of my life? Oh my gosh. Okay. So much to unpack. <laughs> so I, I, I'm sorry. I kind of threw you into the deep end and I thank you so Throw much for in. sharing. Throw me in. But <laughs> I love what you're doing. You obviously have had so much life change. So back us up to the very beginning. Obviously you probably didn't say when you were 12, you want to grow up to <laughs> become a, Be a hooker. No, that's true. <laughs> so yeah, um, back to that part. Yeah. So starting when I was four years old, um, four to about 11 years old, I had an older friend who started sexually molesting me. Um, she was only a couple years older than me. And I have no idea what was going on in her life that had introduced her to that. But basically the conversations we would have was like, yeah, we can play Barbies, but first you have to do X, Y, Z sexually with me. Um, yeah, we can watch a movie, but you have to do X, Y, Z. And so I was introduced to sex, very, very young, the sensations of it, um, the engagement in it. And I knew that it wasn't okay. Like I knew on deep, like inside as a, as a very young child, like this is not okay because we would always have to hide when we would be doing those things. The flip side was she was my older friend and I didn't want to get her in trouble. I, you know, and so that went on from the time I was four till I was about 11. And one of the things that I say all the time whenever I work with young women is I genuinely believe the most powerful tool that Satan has against us is to take lies from any given situation that we then adopt as part of our, our mentality that then becomes cyclical. So one of the lies that I adopted through that experience is that sex is the tool that you use to manipulate people. My very first experiences with sex were not in a loving, healthy situation with a man, it was, if I want something from you, then this is what I use to get that thing from you. And that become, became so deeply rooted in me at such a young age that it kind of set the foundation for all of these other things that then proceeded to happen in my life. It's very easy to fall into escorting whenever you think that sex is supposed to be used to get what you want from someone. Yeah. Um, because it turns sex into a very transactional thing then. And because I never had experienced sex in a healthy way, the transition from just being a girl to now being a hooker was a very fluid transit translation for me because my mom and dad didn't know that that had happened to me. There was no healing or therapy or counseling that ever went into that until I was much older in life. So that was sort of the first thing. The next thing that happened was when I was 15, um, a very close family friend of ours, I was raped by him. That was how I lost my virginity. And I grew up in a really small town, maybe 1200 people. Like if everyone is home that day, there's 1200 people in this town. Wow. Um, and he was a close family friend. My mom and dad did not press charges against him because in their mind, they thought, well, now Ashley would just be the girl that was raped in this small town. Now, there's been a lot of healing with my parents. And, you know, they now say that they made the wrong decision in that and they should have pressed charges. But the lie that I believed through that was that men can do whatever they want to you and they're going to get away with it. So 
So in order to have some semblance of control, I should just give them what they want because at least then they're not taking it. So when you take the first lie and you take the second lie and you jumble them up, well, now you have a recipe for disaster sexually because you first think that sex should be a manipulation tool. And second, you think that that men are going to take what they want anyway. So you might as well give it to them, which essentially subconsciously sex was worth nothing unless I was trying to get something. So those two foundational things really set me up just for disaster because the thing is if you do not go back through your life and ask God to reveal what lies it is that you are believing that Satan has implanted in your mind and uproot those lies and rewire your brain with what God says and what the truth is you will end up being in just a spiral of cyclical nonsense um indefinitely so that's sort of the foundation um I ended up getting married whenever I was 25, I had two children with this man. Um, that's a whole, I could write an HBO docuseries <laughs> about my life. So in these scenarios, you know, I try to convince it, but um, I, long story short, that emo- that marriage was very emotionally abusive. And so I left him and I started a business where I was brokering contracts between music producers and record labels. And I had gone to Vegas to broker a contract. I had dinner with a group of very wealthy businessmen who controlled the clubs. At the end of the dinner, this guy came up to me and he said, hey, do you want to have dinner with me tomorrow night? You're smart and you're beautiful and you're well-traveled. And you know, you did really well in this dinner. I just need somebody to go to dinner with me tomorrow night. Well, Katie, I was broke at the time, like flat broke, like no money. You know, my kids are living on ramen and I'm, I'm like hustling, trying to get this business off the ground. And so, you know, I'm, I'm at the time, 28, 29 years old. And I'm like, yeah, I want to have a fancy dinner in a restaurant. Like, why not? You know? Um, so I go to dinner at the end of dinner, nothing happens. He sends me back to my hotel where I was staying in his car. Um, when I get out of the car, the limo driver hands me an envelope with $1,200 in it. And I said, well, what the heck is this? And he goes, ma'am, I don't know. Like James, just the guy's name was James. He's like, I just, he just told me to give it to you. Take it, you know? So I take the envelope. I called James and I said, what is this? And he said, oh, I thought that you were an escort. I was hyper offended because I'm thinking, well, what did I do that made you think I was an escort? Like I'm not an escort how dare you like I was very upset by this and looking back now I don't actually think he thought I was an escort I think he recognized a very desperate woman who was clearly doing everything she had to do to get this deal for her client so that she had some income coming in you know I was like I am absolutely not an escort and he's like well do you need the money and I was like well yeah I need the money and he said well twelve hundred dollars is like nothing to me so just take the money like it's no big deal it's just a misunderstanding just take the money so I took the money and that's the thing that I think we often think in all, all situations that take us further from God. It's, you don't just wake up one morning having sex with men in foreign countries for thousands of dollars, but that's not how it works. It's always a little bit by a little bit by a little bit. There's a book called Trickle Down Morality that basically says that our moral compass is diluted just one drop at a time. And so that was sort of the first drop of stepping into that lifestyle. So probably three weeks later, I get a phone call from him and he said, Hey, um, I know you're starting this business. 
how would you feel if I flew you to Vegas every other weekend just to have dinners with me, just to go to these business dinners? You'll have your own hotel room, blah, blah, blah. And I'll pay you $3,000 a weekend. And I'm like, that's $6,000 a month, like to fly to Vegas, stay in a fancy hotel and eat really good food, you know, like, and it's not sexual. Like, this is how I'm justifying to myself. Like, he's not asking me to have sex with him. He's just asking me to be a very expensive dinner date. And so I did it. Um, And it started like that for uh, probably three months. And then after three months or so, um, he said, well, hey, if I pay you $6,000 a month or $6,000 a weekend, so it's $12,000 a month. How about you just pretend you're my girlfriend when you're here and we do everything boyfriend girlfriends do. The only agree. The only thing is you can't date or have sex with anyone else while we're in this agreement. So he's like, I'm going to pay for you to go get checked from an SDD perspective. And if you agree to do this, then you just have to agree that that's, that's the deal. I, and you know, at first I was like, no, then of course I talked to my girlfriends, ladies, be very careful what girlfriends you get advice from yeah. because you know how it goes. We'll be sitting in circles and we're like, well, shoot, I've slept with men for less, blah, 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 blah. Like, you know what I mean? Like I slept with guys that I've never talked to again. And I mean, we could delve into that. That's the whole thing we shouldn't be doing, but you know, you have these conversations and they're like, Ashley, like, why would you not? Like, you're super busy. You don't really have time to date traditionally anyway. Like that's $12,000 a month. Like that's, you know, 150 grand a year. Why would you not do it? You're, you can use the money to build your business. And so I agreed to do it. And that's, um, that was the entry point to all of the crazy nonsense. Interesting. Interesting. You know, you mentioned the difference in the high dollar escort versus others. The men were playing for exclusivity. And so I think that that's interesting too, because you're in a relationship, you know, obviously not, uh, not a great relationship or whatever you want to call it, but a relationship nonetheless with exclusivity with guys who, and, and you know, you said none of us condone adultery, but like, they, they were seeking, these guys are lonely and they are looking for companionship. And so they're, they're paying you for that, which is sad in a lot of ways. It's it's interesting. It's definitely, um, the first man that I got involved with wasn't married. He was divorced. Um, but kind of the segue was he ended up working. He had to move to Dubai for work. And, you know, he's like, obviously I can't fly to Dubai every other weekend. You have small children, like this isn't going to work. And he said, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I have a friend who is no longer interested in the woman that he has this arrangement with. So I'm going to pass your information on to him because he thinks that you're beautiful and he's enjoyed conversations with you. And so that, that was the next person. And it starts off very pretty. It starts off very pretty. What happens though is again, with that dripper of just one small little drop of nonsense at a time, you become more and more numb to what is happening slowly over time it went from you know you're just essentially a girlfriend that the guy shouldn't have a mistress for all intents and purposes um to being involved in some very heavy very dark things and kind of one of the I talk about this on my TikTok but one of the one of the moments that I literally was thinking Ashley what the heck are you doing was I had flown to Vegas 
had never met this guy before. He was referred to me by some guy that I really didn't know that well. He was a professional poker player. So I flew to Vegas, met him at the hotel. We did our thing. I was knocked out of sleep in bed and he had gone downstairs to play poker. Um, and probably two, three in the morning, I woke up from a dead sleep, just wide awake. And I felt in my gut, Ashley, you have got to get out of this hotel room. And so I put my tennis shoes on. I went and grabbed my ID and I went to go out the front door of this hotel room. And I, again, you can't go out this, you cannot go out this door. And I'm like, well, where the heck am I supposed to go? Like, this is the only way out of this hotel room. The only other way out is onto the balcony. And so I went onto the balcony and the balconies were like next to each other, but they have these partitions kind of between them. And I just felt compelled, like you've got to get out of here. So I crawled from one balcony to the next and then one more balcony over. And I literally huddled in the corner on this balcony, just sitting there. And probably a minute and a half later, I heard all of these voices go into the hotel room that I had just left. And they were very loud and obviously drunk. And I am sitting there. And as I sat there just in the corner, one of the men came on the balcony and they said, well, where did she go? And then went back in the room and I heard them leave. I sat on that balcony all night until morning when the maids came into that hotel and let me in. And I got on my plane and I went home. I never saw the man again. But as I sat there on that balcony, a couple of things that I knew is one, the God that I had been introduced to whenever I was a little girl, and I get goosebumps every time I say this, even in my mess had never left me. And even as hard and fast as I was running from him, he was there because the only reason I woke up from my sleep and the only reason I didn't go out the front door of that hotel room was because God was telling me, this is, you have to get out of this situation. And then after that moment, I had person after person, I had a little old man. Uh, I can't wait to see the student heaven because he's going to be so shocked that I'm there. But um, <laughs> as this little, I was flying from Chattanooga, Tennessee to Nashville. And I, I was sitting on this plane, this little old man was sitting next to me and the whole flight he's obviously uncomfortable, just like fidgeting in his chair. And he's just like uncomfortable. And I didn't look like a hooker. I looked like a professional, you know? So it wasn't like I was in like thigh highs and booty shorts or something, you know, like to make him uncomfortable. Um, and he, at, we land and he looks at me, he goes, I cannot believe I'm doing this, but God told me to tell you that he has a different plan and a purpose for your life. And you need to come back to him. And then he gets off that plane, like his pants are on fire, like, and basically hightails it off the plane. Um, and so through all of that, I just found that God pursued me and that even in super, super dark moments, he would show up. And I think that whenever, what finally happened, I was flat ironing my hair and obviously I have like crazy long hair. I was flat ironing my hair and I heard God the only time with my ears say, I need you to come back to me now, or I'm going to turn you over to your sin, which is biblical. I mean, in Matthew, it talks about, he will, he's a gentleman. He will pursue and pursue and pursue. But if you say no enough, he's going to let you do what you want. And I knew in that moment that I could not, like, I knew enough about God that I did not want that. And so I Googled women's Bible studies. I hadn't been inside of a church in 10 years and I walked in a church and I started bawling, like, I mean, like snot nose crying. Um, and the woman that was speaking that morning was on no condemnation in Christ. So I rededicated my life to the Lord that day. And the woman that prayed with me to rededicate my life to the Lord is, is like my spiritual mom now. Um, 
she's walked with me for the last 10 years of healing and recovery. And, you know, probably, probably five years ago, she said, Ashley, someday you're going to use this story to impact women. And I said, Donna, if you think I'm going to stand on the stage and tell people I'm a hooker, I was a hooker. You have lost your whole mind. I am never doing that. Do you know that you can book a call with me? Yep, just you and me. We can talk about boys or faith or finding your calling or what you want to be when you grow up or anything in between. My passion, as you know from this podcast, is to be who I needed when I was younger. And I book online mentoring calls all throughout the week. I have a calendar where you pick a time that works for you. And we just set a phone call, date, and make it happen. Usually I'm walking around my neighborhood. You can do whatever you want. But we're going to just get to all the good stuff. Sometimes all you need is an unbiased third party who has your best interest at heart. I want to be your adopted mom, cool aunt, best friend, whatever you want to call me, but let's get real. Let's get honest. I would love to be your mentor. Check all the information at katiebulmer.life. And any young woman who may be listening that has something in her past that she's just not proud of, whenever you genuinely experience the transformative power of Christ, that girl doesn't exist anymore. She is not here. So it doesn't matter what you did because all things have become new. And yes, it takes some time to transform your mind. It takes some time to retrain yourself to behave in different patterns. But, but the girl that, you know, was an escort or was a stripper or was emotionally abusive or was narcissistic or whatever, whatever it is that you think disqualifies you from being used by God, that girl does not exist anymore. Come on. And soon as that became a reality to me, people will say, well, how is it that you're so comfortable? I mean, my grandparents know that I was a hooker. Like there's no, like, obviously it took time to get there. Like I didn't just give my life to Jesus and then march in my grandparents' living room and be like, oh, I used to be a hooker. Like that's not how that went. Um, but my point is though, that whenever you genuinely allow Christ to come in and to truly transform you, then now what I have is the lessons that that season taught me that I am able to impart to other women so that they can hopefully grow and change through that. But the shame and the condemnation and the guilt that is associated with those actions just don't exist anymore. And I want to encourage you that if you are thinking that you will always deal with those things, you don't have to always deal with those things. You can get to a point where you can say, but God, Mm. I did this, but God. And this happened to me, but God, you know, I was sexually abused as a child, but God, I was raped, but God, I was in an emotionally abusive marriage, but God, I have three baby daddies, but God, like that, but God piece is a very real thing. And it can be a very real thing for you. And so now my purpose really is to take the lessons that I learned as an escort and really empower women, both on their healing journey through the early phases of salvation and beyond, but then also speaking at conferences, women's conferences about marriage and, and ways to affair proof your marriage um, because of the things I learned from the men also helping human trafficking victims, because I uh, encountered that a lot. And, um, and now I'm a women's pastor for a church. So it all, I love this so much. Um, One of the things I think that is most magnetic about God that probably isn't talked about enough, or maybe just not really even understood is you know, if you were to think about probably the most furthest away from church, that was you on those fancy yachts, you know, being an escort, mm-hmm. like you said, but God, and I just love how he uses our 
misfit, motley crew, clumsy. We, we fail and then, and then we learn and then we get it right. Like I just, when I, before I was a Christian, I used to think that the people in the Bible were the straight lace pearl wearing. These are the people who got it right. And as I learned more about the disciples, as you said, the prostitutes of the Bible, the you, um, like the me, that all the people who have this, we use our different skill sets, we use our life experiences. And again, it's messy and it's clumsy, but it is so beautiful and redemptive. And I think that that's part of the beauty of it because it's not my power. It's not your power. It's not um, David or Bathsheba or Rahab. Like it's not their power. It's the power of God in us. And I don't think we get that enough. I think they were like, oh, here's our spiritual heroes or, or here's the, the pastor. Here's the people who were doing it right. Yes, but the, we all have our mess and we all have this junk and the way you are redeeming all of that darkness to now be in the light. Like, I just, I can't get enough of it. I think it's so beautiful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a hundred percent accurate. You know, I, one of favorite story in the Bible is Rahab, which I talk about on TikTok all the time. Like I cannot wait to hang out with that woman whenever I get to heaven. Um, cause I think she's just super, super dope. Um, but in that story, one of the things that has always stuck out to me is in order for her and her entire family to be saved, therefore the genealogy of Christ to be saved because she's the mother of Boaz and she was in the lineage of Christ she had to hang a red rope out her window. And that's what notified the Israelites that she was supposed to be saved. So that red rope is really, really pivotal because theologians, so I'm, I'm actually getting a biblical theology degree at the moment. Theologians like to talk about, oh, it represents the blood of Jesus, la, la, la. Yeah, it does. But I think that is also very practical. Um, and practically, what she used that red rope for was to notify people that she was a hooker. She would hang the red rope over her door. And that's how men knew that they could go there to find a prostitute. So in order for her and her entire family to be saved, she had to own who she was. And that realization was so pivotal to me and my journey from a testimony perspective, because Things that you own and things that, that you allow God to fully redeem no longer have power over you. So if somebody comes up to me and says, I heard you were a hooker, I'd be like, yeah, what platform did you hear that on? I sure was. Squashed. Yep. Immediately squashed. But Satan likes us to hide the things that we're most ashamed of because then we're afraid to talk about the goodness of God for fear that the darkness that is within us that we are hiding will be exposed. So whenever I read the story of Rahab and I see that she had to first off own who she was so that her savior could come and save her, but through that salvation, save an entire genealogy of humanity, it all came down to whether or not she chose to own who she was. Mm -hmm. Did she choose to own what she had been involved in? Um, because she could have been like, oh, I don't want my grandma to know I was a prostitute. I'm not hanging this cord out the window. And then they would have all been destroyed. Yeah. And I think that we all come to a point in our walk with God where there's things that we just don't want people to know about. And we have to, I'm not saying that you need to get on TikTok and talk about it like me. Like, I think that's something that you have to be called to do. But if there's something that, that's dark and heavy that, that you're keeping a secret, tell someone. 
find someone that can rally around you and pray with you and pray for you so that it is no longer something that you're boxed up and hidden because when you do that it it essentially releases the toxicity from it and allows you to start moving forward from a new way um so that's why I love Rahab so much because she owned who she was and it led to salvation of entire generations of people um, myself included I mean I probably wouldn't be sitting here if that red rope story wasn't you know shout out to Rahab uh the first time I did disciple now I was like I don't know 23 years old and I was teaching some middle schoolers and (laughs) so funny like they came back from the weekend what did you learn and that was we learned that one of the great, great grandmothers of Jesus was a prostitute, (laughs) (laughs) but again, how beautiful that God uses the misfits and the prostitutes and the sinners and the, like all of us are mess for his glory. And I just, I can't get enough of it. (laughs) You said something I want to make sure we unpack and that is affair proofing your marriage because of your unique perspective and seeing affairs really, you know, kind of the, the underbelly, so to speak. Talk to me about that. Yes. I think the first thing that I noticed over time was that most men do not have affairs because they're assholes. Pardon my language. That's not, I would, I would say probably 90% of them genuinely feel conflicted. And I think as, as now I've been married to a man that had an affair. It's devastating. It's super painful. It's awful. And so through that pain, it's very easy to be like angry and spiteful and pointing fingers. And, but most of the time, the men, it was something that they weighed out for a very long time. It wasn't just a, let me find an escort one weekend. This was something that most of them mulled over for months before they actually took the leap of going down that path from an affair proofing your marriage perspective we usually have a pretty solid chunk of time where we are able to turn that shift if we're paying attention and if we're willing to be honest with ourselves the next thing is what I would hear over and over and over is men would say I do not feel emotionally safe with my wife Mm -hmm. oh that breaks my heart because what I would hear them say is whenever I am emotionally vulnerable with her she will take what I say and weaponize it later. Mm -hmm. If I tell her that, you know, I'm floundering in business, um, she'll be supportive in the moment. But three weeks later, whenever we're fighting, she'll be like, well, you're not, you're not even good at business. Like you lost this huge deal, la la la. So they weaponize the, the thing that's stressing the man out. And this will happen over and over and over to the point where now he's so hungry to have an emotionally safe space that now he's seeking something completely outside of the confines of his marriage. And that's not really what he wanted to do. Most of the men that I was with did not want to leave their marriage. They love their wife very, very much, but men are very capable of mentally compartmentalizing their life and so you have the wife family box over here the wife family box is very painful so I'm just going to get this this safe zone where I'm able to say and do and be whatever I need to say and do and be so that I'm able to better function in this unsafe zone over here 
And that's really how their brain works. Yeah. It's never, it's never a, at least in, in my experience with the men I was with, it was never about, I, I want to leave my wife for you. It was really, if I don't figure out a way to have an emotional connection with someone, I'm going to completely lose it on my wife. And then I'm going to lose my wife. So in their mind, good, bad, or otherwise, they were really trying to figure out a way to protect what they loved the most because their wife was not helping them protect it. Mm-hmm. And I, I already can hear, like, I hear haters, like I can hear it because women don't like to hear these things. But ladies, like, if you want to have a successful relationship, you have to be your husband's safe space. You cannot weaponize his mistakes or the things that he's struggling with because then he's not going to tell you anything and not all men are going to go to the extreme of hiring an escort but he's just going to pull further and further and further away from you and then you're setting yourself up for disaster whether it's through an affair or just a life of lack of emotional connection or lack of intimacy and I don't mean sexual but like true intimacy of genuinely knowing your partner it's a lot yeah yeah Wow. You have such a unique perspective. And again, I I think that, you know, I'm sure there's people who have studied affairs. I'm sure there's psychology behind that. I'm sure there's a lot of different angles, but again, this clumsy misfit way, God can use anyone you, you know, this unideal way of kind of being part of that affair, but yet you saw this genuine heartbreaking side and have such a unique perspective. And I'm glad that you can share that with women now to kind of help prevent that happening in the future. Yeah. You know, I tell, so I'm single actually. So I always feel, but I have been married and I always feel kind of funny um, giving married women (laughs) advice on marriage because I'm in fact not married. Um, But from that vantage point, just seeing men also after they would engage with me, they would be so incredibly broken. Mm. And then they would put on this bravado and go home and pretend like everything was fine. I don't think that that's just a case with escorts. I think sometimes men mask that pain or find outlets through alcohol or they find it through, you know, golf. Like I've, I had a guy tell me, like, I tried really hard. Like I was trying, my outlet was always just to go play golf because she didn't want to hear me. So I would just go play golf. And I'd think about the things that I was doing like at work and like try to decompress that way just so that I wouldn't out like lash out at her, la, la, la. And she would just hound me all the time about me playing golf. Like, well, in my mind, I'd way rather my husband decompress playing golf than playing golf with someone else, you know? (laughs) Um, And so I think as women, if you're, if you're, especially if your husband is in a super high stress environment, police officers, um, firemen, um, CEOs, executives, like anytime that they're just carrying a really heavy burden you got to give them space to healthily deal with what they're dealing with and then when they do open up to you do not just listen to them tell them it's going to be fine um you know tap into just the nurturer that's within you and and make sure that you are affirming them another thing that I would hear a lot was whenever men would have huge successes in business they would call their wife and be like, babe, I just landed this huge deal. And she'd be like, oh, that's great. What time are you going to be home for dinner? Uh, Yeah. And he, it's like, I have sons. 
So I watch with my sons. If you respond that way, it's like you just burst their balloon. It's just like, mm. yeah, men still have that like little boy in them, you know? And what you need to do is like, oh my gosh, you are amazing. Like I know sometimes it feels so over the top because you're dealing with your stuff too, but you need to hype that guy up like that. I am so proud of you. I know how much work you put in. Like tonight we're going to go out, blah, 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 blah. Like you have to be their cheerleader as well because they just desperately need that. And unfortunately, society has made it where men don't feel like they can express themselves in that way. And it just becomes a cyclical problem. So I love that. I wonder if you can share just because you have definitely grown a following on social media and you do talk about, again, I just, I can't get enough of your unique perspective and using it for God's glory. Like I just, I love it. <laughs> what are some of the things or conversations, videos, um, feedback that you hear most often, um, on your social media? Man, I get emotional with this actually. Uh-huh. Um, first I just get so incredibly humbled. Um, that God would even use me at all. Uh, (laughs) Because, you know, like Paul says, like, I am the chief of sinners, like, there's nothing remarkable about me as an individual without the power of Christ. And so, you know, right now, I'm, I jumped off the TikTok cliff about six months ago, and I am about to 29,000 followers, I think, and that's grown crazy fast. Um, and I'm just consistently humbled and the DMs that I get of women who are either former hookers or currently hookers who are like, I've just never had anyone say that God wanted to have anything to do with me at all. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you boldly talk about these things, you know, just thank you so much. I hear that a lot. I have always had, since I was a little kid, a very unique way of breaking things down for people to where they understand. So a lot of what I do on my TikTok is take passages of scripture and really break it down in a way that's hyper simple, but then becomes more relevant, I think. And so I get a lot of, I have never considered that, or I've never noticed that part of the Bible. Um, For instance, I just posted one yesterday about when Jesus healed the leper, it very clearly states that he touched the leper. That's profound because lepers weren't touched and they lived completely isolated from people for they died human touch is such a fundamental component of what we need as humans and so jesus could have just said you are healed and he would have been healed instantaneously but the fact that jesus touched him healed so many other parts of him Mm -hmm. than just the obvious part of him and there's things like that in the bible that i think we miss because we're so focused on the big thing like the red rope we're so focused on that rahab was redeemed that we miss the rope Hmm. Or we are so focused on the fact that Jesus turned water and the wine into wine that we missed that he used ceremonial washing vessels, which would have never been used to drink out of period. So he used essentially, quote unquote, unclean vessels to work an amazing miracle in. Um, And not only did he work an amazing miracle, the miracle that he worked was better than any of the other things that were at the party. And that's what he wants to do in us. Like he comes alongside of us and regardless of how messy our vessel is he wants to use it to create something that's better than what we would have ever expected and so a lot of what I do on TikTok is people saying I've just never never considered that or I've never looked at that or I've never 
notice those details, but I'm an analyst professionally. So I think that that's part of it. Um, I analyze everything. And so, you know, God, it's also amazing to me how God literally uses every single part of my life I was thinking. to do good at this. You know, I get haters too. Of course. Are like women shouldn't teach the Bible and, you know, oh, but, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and I'm so encouraged though for the person them. listening. Yeah. Like I'm sure you don't have the exact same story as Ashley, but like we all have junk and then we all have little things. Like you said, you're an analyst or like however the way you see the world and we will tell ourselves, oh, well, I'm not qualified or I haven't been to Bible school or I don't have that cool of a story. Like even and something I hear a lot, oh, well, I don't, I don't even have that juicy of a testimony. You know, I've always followed Jesus. That is still a beautiful story because it like that's, people need to hear that. And like, that's the, what you want for your children. And so yeah. everyone has a story that is worth telling. And I think yeah. I just, yes. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And so one of the things that I am so thankful for is that first and foremost, God has, you know, God promises to restore what the locusts ate and locusts have eaten a whole lot of male relationships for me. But in the last season of my life, he's also surrounded me with some of the most godly, supportive brothers Mm. that are like my biggest cheerleaders. Um, my ministry partner, Warren, who launched a church with me. Um, there's a bunch of people that are just, that have my back that are like, Ashley, women need to hear what you have to say. And you've got to keep talking. You've got to keep talking. You got to keep talking. And so that's really beautiful. But, but having women just consistently say, you know, like, I didn't know that God loved me like that. Mm. Or I didn't know God could love me like that. Or I didn't know that, um, my story could be redeemed, or I had never thought about figuring out what lies I was believing about myself so that I could change. And that's something, man, anyone that's listening, if you haven't done that, sit down with a notebook and pray and ask God to tell you what lies am I believing about myself that are not in line with what you say about me so that I can first off read through them out loud and say, I do not align myself with this anymore. I break this off of myself. I am not going to fall into this pattern of thinking anymore. And this lie is no longer going to have authority over me. Verbally say that out loud and then ask God to say, what do you say about me in place of this? Because, you know, the word says, if you cast out one demon and leave it empty, then a whole mess more will show up. So you need to replace it with the word of God. But I'm telling you, if you do that, even just the process of identifying the lie so that you can break the cycle is so incredibly powerful. Amen. Yeah, Ashley, I cannot get enough of what you're doing in the world. And uh, when I first started doing this podcast and everything I do really is just to provide a platform for people to share their story. And I think that um, if I can help one more person share your story or hear your story, then um then this, then the podcast was worth it. So thank you for sharing it. How can people stay in touch with what you're doing online and continue to hear the goodness you're putting out there? Yeah, you can follow me on TikTok or Instagram, which is Miss Ashley Lagos, MS, like Ms. Miss Ashley Lagos, all one word. Um, I am the women's pastor for a digital first church, which is 12 churches, XII underscore church. Um, you can find us on Instagram and TikTok both. Um, our 
platform really is we put out 12 minute sermons every single week. We film them in really bizarre locations, burnt out buildings and train stations and Ferris wheels. And um, because we're really targeting young people who want to connect, but live in the digital space. So how, do, and then we have online Bible studies with 12 uh, on Tuesday nights every week. Um, so you can find me there and that's, and I, if you DM me on any of those things, I will myself respond. I respond to every single one I get. And we'll definitely link all of that goodness in the show notes. So Ashley, what a pleasure to meet you. I'm um, the blessed one that I get to meet cool people on the internet and say, hey, can I get to know you more and record it and share it with our listeners? So thank you so much for doing that. <laughs> yes, thank you.